Stand clear of the closing doors. Welcome to Chuck versus the Subway. Mind the gap. That's London. The next stop is Chuck, Season 3, Episode 18. Now entering the penultimate episode of Season 3. Hosted by two people who have apparently never been on a subway. <laughs> Hello, my name is Chris Gillespie, and I am one of the subway conductors today. Hello, my name is Erin Arata. I am, uh, as I've established before, I'm not a train expert. I used to be an expert on subways, but it's uh, been a little while. It has been. It's all, and you know, I am still predominantly rely on the subway, but I have not been on the subway in uh, almost, I guess, four months at this point, basically. Yeah. Yep. And I've never been happier. I love being <laughs> away from the subway. It's been a huge improvement to my life to not have to ride the subway on a daily basis. I kind of miss like the poles. Like there's not really like poles in my everyday life. Like they're like gross and dangerous, like to touch them a lot. But like there's a very specific feeling of the poles. I don't know why I'm talking about this, <laughs> but I don't know. Like I don't miss them, but it's just like there's there hasn't been like and there hasn't been like the fabric that's on the seats, like that weird kind of fabric. Like I don't see that in my day to day life. I don't necessarily miss them, but it's just like something that I'm like, huh? Like I don't I don't see a lot of subway poles. I don't see a lot of seat carpet. I don't see a lot of um like that that very specific feeling when like one car is empty and you're like, is it like is it empty for like a bad reason or is it empty like I could go into it? And if it, it was empty for a bad reason, like maybe is it better? Sometimes people give birth on the subway when you're on it and they have to stop it. Like that's happened to me before. So uh yeah, those are all things that like as we will establish in this episode, LA does have subways and they do play a big role in this episode. Maybe in New York, like it would be a little bit harder for like an evil government operation to uh, like take over like certain like subway maintenance hatches because like in New York, there's like more subways being used. But in LA, it's possible for that to happen because like the subway is a little bit less of a, a, a source, you know? Although I guess depending on who you would ask in New York, some may say that an evil government cor corporation has already taken over oh, yeah, the yeah. New York subway. Yeah, yeah of course. Um, so I would like to give a shout out to the Atlanta subway service, mm -hmm. uh, which is called Marta. Okay. It's uh, I rode that. It was a, a nice little subway. It's very small, but it was very clean and timely and... Uh, I think I, I probably enjoyed it because I only rode it once, unlike the New York subway, which... I've ridden thousands of times. The Philadelphia subway line, or I don't know if this is more like a commuter rail kind of thing, but it's called the SEPTA. Oh. I wish I well, could be like, well, it's more like a sep septic, but uh, that's I, I had a very pleasant experience on the SEPTA. Oh, well, if you are uh, if you're listening to the show and you have a subway system yeah. near you in your hometown, let us know. We'd love to hear about it. Yeah. What's the name of your subway system? Is it something weird or is it something boring like the MTA? Uh, <laughs> the, well, the T is kind of interesting, actually, because you're like, what is what is that? What's that letter stand for? Right. And then there's a the whole thing because it's like the Boston Tea Party. I feel yep. like it, that pun needs to be made more. They should do more of that. Or like spill the tea. Like if, if the tea gets in an accident, you could like mm -hmm. write like like BuzzFeed could be like the tea spills or like something like that. You know, so this is a show about Chuck. Uh, we're going to be talking about the penultimate episode of season three, Chuck versus the subway today. But before we do that, I, uh, I wanted to point out that for those of you listening, I am wearing a baseball hat and, uh, yeah, in I've been honor. wondering what that's all about. Well, Aaron, if, if you watch this episode, if you watch the previous episode, you'll know that when characters in Chuck go undercover or are running away or hitting the lamb, they just put on a baseball hat to show that they are 
undercover. Cause... Okay, well, I I have something that I have to do then. Whoa! I'm wearing sunglasses. Thank you for listening to the show, and I will make you uh, question why you're listening to this podcast in just a moment, but it occurs to me that we are almost, believe it or not, we're almost done with season three. It's crazy, because it feels like we had just started season three. Yeah, it really does. It's been a wild season, which we're going to be discussing in the following episodes. We'll be talking about the season finale uh, next week. And then the week after that, we'll be doing kind of a big season three wrap up as we do here. Uh, So in the waning days of season three, it occurred to me that there's something that we do every season uh, that we haven't done yet. And I feel like it's only appropriate to reintroduce our listeners to our good friend, Coco. Oh, man. Uh, Coco is one of the main sponsors of Go Chuck Yourself. It's by the Ashton Ashton Drake Galleries. Coco is uh, a a human uh, human monkey hybrid baby <laughs> that is made of. Well, I we have copy here from Ashton Drake, so I'm just going to read that uh, once again. We love supporting Coco here at Go Chuck Yourself. Okay, so the headline is an amazing work of lifelike art to cuddle and love. With all the tender innocence and sweetness of a real newborn monkey, Coco is a 16-inch, so truly real, that's trademarked, masterpiece of realism you can cradle in your arms, thanks to the award-winning artistry of Linda Murray. Thanks, Linda. Coco's little head, arms, and legs are crafted of real touch, also trademarked, (laughs) vinyl to recreate every lifelike detail from her cute, serene expression to her wrinkled little toes. She also has a weighted cloth body that's perfect for posing and cuddling. Little wisps of hair applied by hand add to the incredible realism, as do those trusting eyes and the look so lovingly into yours. You won't be able to resist picking her up and offering her that pacifier, yours included free. She arrives in a pink tee and a terry cloth diaper adorned with tiny pink diaper pins. Simply adorable. A remarkable value for a limited time. That's right, Coco can be yours for just $119.99, payable in four installments of $29.99. Your satisfaction is guaranteed for one full year, so order now. Head over to www.ashtondrake.com slash Coco. For more information on sales tax you may owe to your state, go to ashtondrake.com slash use hyphen tax. And uh, make sure you follow uh, Ashton Drake on Facebook at facebook.com slash ashtondrake for contests, new dolls, and more. Something upsetting um, that I don't think I've talked about on the show before is that I do now get ads for Ashton Drake and not just Coco, but like everything that they sell, which includes like lifelike human baby dolls and other animals as well. And that's just something that I get ads for on my computer now. I Maybe that's because of me talking about it and so that somehow it's listening to me and uh, is is catering your ads to that but i like to think that it's because you are living a lifestyle of someone who would probably be interested in this i i like to think that too um can you can you repeat for our listeners where uh where we came across coco initially did you did you find coco on the street uh so coco we found on the sidewalk in here in flatbush when aaron was uh visiting when she lived in New York back in the day, in the early days of Go Check Yourself, she was in my neighborhood and we were walking down the street and we found Coco just on the street. And uh, it was, it's been love ever, ever since. <laughs> so once every season, we, I do a free advertisement for Coco. So make sure you check it out. Fans of Chuck will love Coco is a hypothesis <laughs> and not, that I ha- We're not talking about the uh, Pixar film, just to be clear. No. Absolutely Fans not. Ch- Don't watch that. Fans of Chuck will hate the P- Pixar film Coco. <laughs> So, uh, Chuck, Chuck versus the subway. We'll, we'll get into it. We'll, we'll ride into that one.
The episode starts with Chuck and his dad working on the governor that will stop the Intersect 2.0 from ruining Chuck's neurological functions. Hello, governor. <laughs> Thank you. Have you have you been waiting to do that or was that just spur of the moment? It was spur of the moment. Wow, it was it was beautiful. Thank you. Chuck's dad says he can make a governor for Chuck, but sometimes the best thing to do, the thing that will protect the most people, is just to walk away. Like in that vine when she says, when there's drama at school, you walk away. But she she does it like uh, better than that. It's funnier when she does it. Sorry, everyone. Uh, Chuck is flabbergasted that his dad would suggest he run and abandon his loved ones. But before they can talk about it further, Sarah comes in. You may remember that Sarah doesn't know anything about the brain deterioration, so she just assumes Chuck and his dad are working on fixing a watch for, you know, fun. Stephen and Sarah agree that Chuck needs some fresh air. In the Buy More, Devin comes in looking a little grizzled and says Ellie didn't come home the night before. Morgan explains that Ellie might be cheating on Devin and plays the illicit phone call Casey recorded in the last episode. Devin is sad and says he needs to call his wife. Meanwhile, Ellie is trying to call Devin, but she can't get a signal from Justin's office. He comes in and tells her that the signal is blocked to keep anyone from infiltrating their base. He also says that Casey escaped after the frying pan incident in the last episode, but the CIA is in the process of bringing Ellie's family in for safekeeping. So, like, I understand that there are situations where you're just, like, up all night, like, in somebody, like, if, maybe if you're at, like, a hospital or, like, at a police station or, like, things like that, like, you might be, like, in a room for an extended period of time and you're just sitting waiting, being nervous, but we're establishing that Ellie was there overnight, so she's been there a while, and I feel like it kind of, like, I mean, we know Justin is bad, but, like, for her, like, it sucks that she was just, like, locked in an office, like, did she get food, Had, did she... Did they provide her with blankets so she could sleep on the couch? Like, it seems like the accommodations that are presented to her are not great. Yeah, was she, did they let her go to the bathroom at yeah. some point? Was she able to leave the office or she yeah. just was trapped in this office with no food and drink or bathroom? Yeah, I have a lot of questions. Casey, on the other hand, is uh, not not worried about food because he's at some kind of diner and he's being served with, I, I think, some pie and some coffee. The waitress has his morning routine and order memorized. We see that this waitress is one Alex, Casey's daughter. We were wondering what happened to her, but uh, apparently um, he, he knows her really well because he asked her about her finals and she says she's all set to graduate next week. Apparently Casey has been visiting her for some time, but he hasn't told her who he is. At a farmer's market in North Hollywood, this is established because uh, we need to know what subway station it is, uh, Chuck and Sarah are discussing the threat of the ring. Chuck is worried, but Sarah assures him that Shaw is dead. I applaud her for being so chill about all of this, considering Shaw tried to kill her. She goes to get some cream, I guess, that they're going to have some blueberries. I don't know if she needs, like, legitimate just, like, cream or if it's, like, ice cream or, like, whipped cream or something, but she's, she's going to get some cream. She says the blueberries that they're eating will taste better with it. While Chuck is left alone, he flashes on a voice from somewhere in the crowd, and he recognizes it as Shaw's. His vision starts going fuzzy, and he runs through the crowd, following someone in a long coat that kind of looks like Shaw. Chuck chases Shaw into the subway station and tries to find him, but he doesn't. As the subway door is closed, Chuck stands on the platform and says, I must be losing my mind. Then there's a knock on the subway window, and Shaw is there giving Chuck a little wave. Kind of like It was a kind of a nice wave. Not a nice wave. It's not, a, it's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. I mean, it's not a good thing. It's not like nice, like in like a kind way, but I thought it was like kind of like I, I liked his like cheeky little wave. We're going to find out in this episode that I was really into evil Shaw. Oh, that's concerning. <laughs> so back in Castle, Chuck tries to convince his teammates that he actually did see Shaw. He wants to call Beckman, but apparently she's indisposed. 
His dad steps up by hacking the subway camera feed and showing all of them the person Chuck Shaw. Chuck, Chuck Saw, Chuck Shaw, it was Shaw. Sarah gasps and says, Daniel. So now everyone knows. They also see Shaw sneaking into a maintenance door on the, on the metro. As Sarah and Casey prepare, Stephen reminds Chuck that he does have a choice here. Chuck says he won't run because he's not like his father, and that shuts Stephen right up. At the Bymore, Lester and Jeff are in the home theater room with Devin, who is drinking heavily. Jeff and Lester and Big Mike, who also drops by, say that Devin's problem was that he left Ellie alone and unsatisfied. Morgan comes in and is unimpressed with this line of reasoning. As am I, Morgan. As am I. Morgan leads Devin out, and there's a scene I really like where he says, this is just awesome. And Devin, who is drunk, is like, what? And then Morgan's like, no, 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 not you. I didn't mean your name. And I thought that was very cute. <laughs> I didn't catch that. It was a cute moment. Yeah. We find out that Beckman is indisposed because she's at some sort of trial uh, with CIA leaders. She seems to be appealing on behalf of the Intersect Project and Team Bartowski, trying to convince the heads of the CIA that it isn't a liability. She says that Chuck is poised to become the weapon they've always dreamed of. And I, like, I guess the Intersect is a weapon, but, like, it felt weird to hear her say that. Like, they, like, Chuck is just, like, a normal, like, Chuck is a gun, basically, you know? Mm -hmm. This ends up being intercut with Team Bartowski sneaking up from the subway maintenance store into a government building. They each split up to take a floor. While Sarah and Casey's floors are empty, Chuck ends up on the floor where Justin is keeping Ellie. Alarms start going off, and Ellie asks Justin what's going on, and he says they've been breached. A silhouette of a man with a gun appears outside the office, but the blinds are shut, so Ellie can't see who it was. Justin runs out to fight the person, who of course we see is Chuck. Chuck flashes, but then the flashes keep coming, and he's unable to fight at full capacity. Still, he knocks Justin down, just as Ellie opens the door. <gasps> oh no! They're both confused about what's happening and why the other one is there. Chuck tries to get Ellie to run with him, but Justin gets up and runs in the other direction. Meanwhile, on another floor, Sarah figures out from a biometric scanner that they're not in a ring base, as they'd initially thought, but they're in a CIA base. They run to warn Chuck just as he chases Justin into the trial room where Beckman is appealing to the tribunal. Beckman asks what is going on, and Chuck says, apparently, I have no idea. Nor do I. This, is, this was exciting. This was confusing. We cut to Chuck being held in a cell. Beckman comes in to explain what the meeting was all about. Chuck is worried about Shaw being somewhere in the building and says they have to figure out what's going on, but Beckman says the best thing Chuck can do to plead his case is keep his mouth shut. And if we know anything about Chuck, that's exactly what he will not do. <laughs> he won't have a problem with that at all. He's always, he's a quiet man. You know, he, uh, man a few words. Never says anything when he's not supposed to. No, very chill. He goes with the flow a lot of the time. Yep. So Beckman resumes her presentation, but the uh, the committee, the joint chiefs of staff, apparently, uh, allowed Sarah and Casey and Chuck to join since they were going to be there anyway. The chairman of the committee says that it is evident that the Intersect project is failing, and Chuck stands up offended, saying that this is outrageous. Chuck then demands that they provide him with one shred of evidence that the Intersect is malfunctioning. He goes so far as to ask who even told them that the Intersect was malfunctioning in the first place. We then hear Shaw's voice say, I did. <gasps> Shaw walks into the room in slow motion, looking pretty good for a corpse. Beckman is just as confused as Chuck and Sarah to see Shaw. Shaw takes the floor and Chuck's tell, uh, Chuck tells everyone that Shaw is an agent of the ring. And Sarah says that he drugged her and kidnapped her and tried to kill her. Shaw says that this is all completely true besides the attempted murder part and that he was approved to take these actions by this very committee. Shaw says that he was working as a double agent to take the ring down, but Chuck says that that's a lie, and then Shaw continues to say that he came here for one reason, to argue that Charles Bartowski is an American hero. He didn't ask for the Intersect, and it's not his fault that his brain is being destroyed by it. 
Sarah then chimes in uh, that Chuck was fully evaluated and cleared for field work by the actor Christopher Lloyd, to which Shaw asks Chuck if uh, he'd like to tell Sarah the truth. Chuck hesitates, so Shaw reads Christopher Lloyd's report, which states that Chuck's condition will absolutely get worse, and Chuck tries to apologize to Sarah, but she's upset. Shaw then recommends that the Intersect Project be terminated. That bastard. Beckman says that before they can cancel the Intersect Project, they need to take a look at all of Team Bartowski's successful missions. And I thought this was going to be like a clip show, like a retrospective, like it's the end of the season. So they're going to go back and like show some highlights from the the seasons before this. But not really. Uh, Beckman starts a slideshow beginning with a case file on Stone Cold Steve Austin and then moves on to a case file about Alexis White. Who was a villain at some point that she I She was not like recall. the torturer, like the one who like when in the episode where everybody was like, Chuck's not going to withstand torture, like everybody breaks. I think that was her. So Shaw, having downloaded the intersect in the previous episode, flashes on Alexis White and Chuck sees him flash. But when Chuck calls him out on it, no one believes him. Devin basically gaslights Chuck. Devin. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Shaw basically gaslights Chuck and says that he's glad the committee is seeing this behavior because it is evidence that Chuck is not in control of his mind. Chuck insists that he's in control and to prove that he's going to do something that will look insane but will ultimately prove his point. He decides to take a page out of his dad's book and throws a letter opener, which again, why is an old timey letter opener just on this desk? Why does a prisoner have that? (laughs) He throws this little knife at Shaw's like face area. uh, But Shaw kind of smiles as the knife circles towards him and just lets it hit him in the in the shoulder so he gets stabbed and everyone freaks out because Shaw does not flash he doesn't have the intersect it seems uh and they just carry Chuck away the armed guards come in and pull him away while Sarah cries that Shaw or Chuck cries that Shaw has the intersect Casey and Sarah discuss their plan afterwards uh they weren't arrested at this point uh Sarah thinks that they need to report all of this behavior to the higher-ups in Washington but Casey points out that the higher-ups in Washington were in that room And there's nothing that they can do to help Chuck after that incident. He says that Shaw has the CIA wrapped around his finger and that there were probably more ring agents in that room anyways. Casey believes that the only choice that they have is to run away in order to save themselves and their loved ones. Sarah says that everything she cares about is still in that CIA base, a.k.a. Chuck. And Casey wishes her good luck before running away. He's just, he's done. He's done. He's got to protect his family. Back at Devin and Ellie's, Devin is a nervous wreck pacing back and forth when Ellie enters. Devin asks where she was all night, and Ellie says that she's been keeping a secret and needs to explain. Devin says that it's all his fault because he hasn't been stepping up to the plate, so to speak. And Ellie tells him that he needs to be strong, so he he says he'll double his workouts. Ellie cuts the crap and tells Devin that Chuck is in trouble with the CIA. Devin is stunned and is downright happy when Ellie explains that Chuck punched the CIA operative in the face. Ellie says that Chuck needs a lawyer, but Devin explains that Chuck has been with the CIA for years, and he's known but wasn't able to tell her, and that he's so relieved now that she knows. Ellie is stunned and Devin realizes that he just broke the news to her and Ellie demands that Devin tell her everything that he knows about Chuck. Cut to Casey running into Alex's diner. As soon as he steps foot in the door, Justin appears and stealthily holds Casey at gunpoint and asks if he's there for the pie too. I don't know if it's that stealthy. He looked like pretty suspicious. He had like a newspaper folded over his hand. That was weird. If I saw that, I would think it was weird. Alex sees Casey and does not think anything is weird about this and points out that he brought a friend for once. That's nice. Justin politely asks for a table for two, and Alex seats them. Chuck, meanwhile, is just laying in his holding cell when the door opens itself. Chuck races out and sees a message from Steven on a neighboring door's control panel. Steven tells Chuck to follow his lead and uses the hallway lights to lead Chuck out of the base. Sarah turns the corner just in time to see Chuck running full speed down the hall, so she follows him. 
at the diner, Alex serves Casey and Justin slices of apple pie. And I was like, damn, wish I had some pie. <laughs> Justin gives the typical villain speech about like, oh, pretty girl. It'd be a shame if she had to die, blah, blah, blah. And tells Casey to put his hands where he can see them. Casey obliges and Justin starts to eat his pie. Justin comments on the amount of nutmeg in the pie and says that he'll be taking Casey with him after this and that he never figured Casey for to be a father. To which Casey responds, well, I'm not a very good one. And then hits Justin over the head with a metal napkin dispenser. Oh, yeah. Once Justin's on the floor, Casey kicks him in the face and then proceeds to pick up Alex and carry her out over his shoulder like some kind of cave person. <laughs> Casey throws her into his crowd Vic and drives off. He's got to introduce her to the crown Vic. It's his two most important uh, relationships in his life. His two babies are finally meeting. Chuck escapes the CIA base and Sarah catches up with him. Sarah asks Chuck uh, what's going on. And Chuck, like a child who can't make it through their first sleepover, says that his dad is coming to get him. <laughs> Sarah says that he can't do that because if he runs, the CIA will put a burn notice, a burn notice out on him and he'll be running forever. He needs to stay and fight. As she says this, Stephen pulls up in his truck and, like a father picking up a child from their first sleepover, yells, We have to go! Now! <laughs> Sarah says that if Chuck leaves, he'll always be on the run, but Stephen argues that if he stays, everyone he loves will be in danger. An alarm siren starts to go off and Chuck has to make a decision. He apologizes to Sarah and then says that he'll always choose to protect her, kisses her, and jumps into Stephen's car and, and they speed off, leaving Sarah alone and crying, being surrounded by the CIA agents. Later that night, Casey and Alex are sitting in the Crown Vic in an empty parking lot. Uh, Casey says that Alex needs to believe him when he says that he won't hurt her, but Alex has a hard time believing this, given how forcefully Casey removed her from the diner. Casey then presents her with a key, which he identifies as the key to his locker at the Bymore in Burbank, and tells her that everything inside of it is now hers. Alex says that if Casey wants her to really listen to him, she'd like to have some space and step outside of the car to talk. Casey agrees and unlocks the door, and Alex opens it and makes a run for it. Casey runs after her and grabs her shoulder, but then Alex uses some, like, pretty awesome self-defense moves yeah. to keep Casey away. Good for her. Le left with no choice, Casey reveals that he is Alex's father. Alex doesn't believe him since she says that her father is dead, but Casey explains uh, his true identity as Alex Coburn. Alex seems to be taking this to heart when an SUV speeds into the parking lot. Casey tells Alex to run and get her mom and disappear forever as the CIA agents leap out of the SUV and arrest Casey. Things are equally sticky at Devin and Ellie's apartment. Uh, I mean that Devin is explaining to Ellie everything he knows about Chuck, including why they were invited to the Costa Graven ball and why there was an aggressive stripper at his bachelor party. Ellie says that she can't believe that Chuck and Sarah are spies and asks how her father is wrapped up in all of this. Devin says that he deliberately kept himself ignorant of some of the details because he didn't want to have to lie to her. But then Ellie holds Devin to task for being on the cusp of finding out the legitimate reason why Stephen walked out on her and Chuck as children and deliberately avoiding it. She tells Devin that he needs to get her someone who with legitimate answers. Enter Morgan. Ellie can't believe that her little brother's creepy childhood friend knows more about Chuck's spy life than she does. Uh, Morgan tries to give a dramatic setup to the story of Chuck, but Ellie says that they don't have time because the bad guys have Chuck. Morgan realizes that this must mean that the ring uh, has gotten Chuck and explains what the ring is to Ellie. Ellie says that all she knows is that Justin told her that Casey was a double agent who was out to get Stephen. Lies! Ellie suggests that Casey turned Chuck to the dark side as well, but Morgan writes this off as preposterous. He knows that Casey would never betray the United States of America, and neither would Chuck. Ellie relents and asks if either Morgan or Devin can figure out why the CIA is holding Chuck against his will, and Morgan promises that he will find out. Back at the CIA base, Sarah walks into Shaw's office and says, You wanted to see me, sir? Shaw then begins by saying, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you that you look great. Okay, I guess that's fucked up. 
I guess having already died once, he's just really going to lean into overt sexism yeah. in this second life. Yep. Sarah tells him to cut the crap and to stop lying. Shaw hits some kind of secret button underneath his desk, but Sarah doesn't see this. And he says to Sarah that he and Sarah are the only two people who know the truth about Paris. Sarah says that Chuck knows the truth too, but Shaw points out that Chuck's now an unreliable witness and seems more guilty than ever since he ran away. Shaw apologizes uh, that Chuck never told Sarah about his mental condition in private. And then he gets real close to her and calls her Sam, to which Sarah reaches into Shaw's suit coat and pulls out his gun. She points it at him and says that she's going to bring him to the committee at gunpoint so he can tell them exactly what happened in Paris. As she does this, Shaw says, I knew you'd bite. And several armed agents burst into the office, seeing <sighs> Sarah holding Shaw at gunpoint. I'm into this. It's really upsetting, but I am. You're into what? I'm into Shaw. He's like, he's a little stinker. Shaw tells the men to arrest Sarah because she's gone rogue and I guess because he's a, a little stinker. Shaw says that it's a shame that Sarah has gotten so soft and emotional like Chuck. And she, he uh, bends down to pick up his gun when Sarah punches Shaw in the back of the head and the armed agents take her away. Yeah, I like that. As this is happening, Morgan and Devin break into Castle somehow. I guess Morgan just has the codes now, I guess. So it's not really breaking in uh, because everyone just knows about Castle. It's not a secret anymore. But uh they walk in and they find Beckman on the TV screen shredding a bunch of confidential documents, <laughs> really going all Enron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she's not in her normal office. She's in some kind of records room. And Beckman says that she's like kind of in a, a hurry and she's kind of frantic. She said that she was hoping to see Chuck in Castle. But Morgan tells her that Chuck's being held by the CIA. But maybe she can help with that. Outside of Beckman's office, we hear a man telling her to open the door, but she ignores it. Morgan asks what's going on. And Beckman says that the CIA is shutting down the Intersect Project. Casey and Sarah have been both apprehended, and Chuck is public enemy number one. As much as it pains her to say, Morgan is their only hope. Uh, and the computer glitches and turns blue while she says this, so it's a reference to Star Wars. Wow, is it? I didn't realize. <laughs> the CIA agents drag Beckman away, and her video feed is disconnected. On the road, Stephen and Chuck are driving, just father and son. Chuck's wearing a hat because he's living a new life, just like me, wearing his hat. <laughs> uh Steven presents Chuck with the new Governor 2.0 watch. Steven says that it'll activate immediately, so Chuck puts it on and immediately feels the calming effects of the governor. Chuck's iPhone rings and he sees that it's Morgan. That was a really... I don't know, that's a really weird phrase, the calming effects of the governor. <laughs> are, you, are you talking about um, de Blasio? Who's the, who's the governor over there? Andrew Cuomo? Oh yeah, that's what I meant. Were you talking about your governor? Yep, that's what I meant. My governor. Mr. Gavin Newsom. Yeah. Who's de Blasio? Is that the mayor? The, the mayor. Okay. Well, I was going to say Mayor Mar Marty Walsh, but then I realized that's also not a governor. Who do you think would win in a fight? Your governor or my governor? I mean, I think your governor, but I think he'd fight dirty. Ooh. Ouch. <laughs> I was going to say your governor because he seems really tall. All right. Let's let's look up pictures of him. Um, Andrew Cuomo. Okay. Looking at him. Uh, no, I, I stand by what I said, but uh, do you want me to look up how tall Gavin Newsom is? Gavin Newsom height, he's 6'3". Oh, that's Andrew really tall. Cuomo is 5'11", so oh, there, that a is, a big, <laughs> that is yeah, a big difference. Your governor would kick my governor's ass. Bill de Blasio is 6'5". He's a giant. Um, I've seen on. him scale the side of the Empire State Building. Let me, let me look up Eric Garcetti's height just for, uh, just for a comparative purposes. Um, he, he is six one, so he's still, uh, he's still pretty. He's, he's not the shortest of them, but he is short. If a, if it's a height contest you want, 
Okay, now I'm just gonna check Marty Walsh's height while we're while we're in here. Um, that is not listed. People do not care about that. So really, there you go. Uh, so Chuck's iPhone rings and sees that it's Morgan. Stephen is incredulous that Chuck still has his cell phone on him because yeah, that's a, why would if Chuck's running away, why would he have a cell phone? But Chuck says that he never had a chance to say goodbye to Morgan and that he needs to explain to him what's happening. Chuck tells Morgan that he's going away with his dad and Morgan tells him to stop because Casey, Sarah, and Beckman have all been apprehended. Chuck asks where, when all of this happened, but doesn't get to hear Morgan's response because Stephen throws his iPhone out the window. Just when Chuck got a new phone. Everybody's always <laughs> throwing his phone out the window. Chuck says that he needs to go back to save Sarah, but Stephen says that all of it is just a trap to lure Chuck back to Shaw. Chuck realizes that Shaw doesn't want Chuck. He really wants the Governor 2.0. Chuck bleeds to his father and points out that Stephen came back because no matter how far away he ran, he would always come back to protect the people he loves the most because he knows what's important. And that's what Chuck's trying to do. Stephen is won over by this logic and says that if they're going to do this, they're going to be smart about it, not emotional. And then he pulls an illegal U-turn. So I guess they can be a little emotional. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe being smart means violating traffic rules when, when they're not in your favor. So Chuck shows up at Ellie and Devon's and tells Ellie he needs her help. She's still freaking out over everything, but she agrees to go along when she realizes that her dad has come home as well. She leads Chuck and Stephen to the office park where she would meet with Justin and tells him that he used to leave and exit into a metro building across the street. Which, like, I feel like he shouldn't have let her see him do that. Like, even if he was a legitimate CIA agent, I feel like he should, like, take a walk around the block until she's gone or something. Yeah, or tell her to wait on a bench that's not facing his, yeah. his egress route. <laughs> yeah. Before Chuck and Stephen leave, Ellie asks her dad to please confirm that there was actually an explanation for why he left them. He says he'll tell her everything, but he promises this is the last time he'll ever leave her. At that point, audiences everywhere say, oh, geez, he's gonna die. <laughs> Meanwhile, wherever Sarah and Casey are being held, Shaw says that Chuck is so predictable that he'll show up any minute. He also calls Chuck love-soaked, which is like, Kind of weird. It's a weird expression. Like love struck is the is a word. Love soaked. I don't know what that is. It sounds kind of dirty or like a, a beautiful poem. Like about like nature. Like the love soaked dandelions. He's saturated with all that love. Yep. Wet to the touch. <laughs> Chuck and Steven tell Ellie to wait in the office park and they break into the metro building. It looks normal, but Chuck flashes on the company that created it and points out a fake wall. They go deeper into what appears to be a ring base. And back in the cell or whatever, Shaw gets a notification from Justin that Chuck and Steven have infiltrated the base. Shaw is like, see? But then Justin says it's not the base they're currently in, but the secret ring base. I don't... I didn't know there were two bases. I didn't know Chewbacca was in another transport. I don't know. There's just two of everything in in this uh, sci-fi stuff, you know? (laughs) Also, Shaw has another weird line here where he says something like, who knew Chuck could think with an organ other than his heart? And I'm like, Chuck has a penis to think with, Shaw. Come on. That was nice that you were thinking about Chuck's penis in this episode and not just Shaw's. Well, I was thinking about Shaw's too. I just, like, it hasn't come up yet. Uh, in the base they're actually in, Stephen and Chuck deduce that the ring saved Shaw's life and then gave him the new intersect. Outside, Ellie sees Justin and Shaw arriving and entering the base, and she sneaks in after them. Shaw and Justin hold Chuck at gunpoint, asking him to hand over the governor. Chuck is reluctant until Justin gets close enough to hold the gun to Chuck's head. Chuck takes the governor off, hands it over, and immediately seems a little less steady. But he still wants to fight Shaw, even without it. He taunts Shaw and says things like, Don't you want to know how your intersect stacks up against mine? 
Shaw does want to know this, but he says that he'll undoubtedly win because Chuck can't fight when his emotions are compromised. Chuck says he's calm, and Shaw's like, how about now? And then he shoots Steven. That was brutal. That was like, like, I... I knew that this was coming, but it was still brutal. Like, that's, I don't know. Shaw, like, he's he's not a good guy anymore. Right. It's very it's very sad, and I think they do a very good job of, because obviously characters get shot and people die in mm-hmm. Chuck, and it kind of is somewhat commonplace, but they do a good job of giving this a, a lot of emotional yes. gravity yeah. and weight to it. Absolutely. So Shaw and Justin just, like, I don't know if they're just, like, standing there while this is happening, but we focus on Chuck, who runs to his dad and cries because Stephen is 100% dying. Stephen tells Chuck, you're special, son. Always remember you're special, which is, like, a theme at the end of this season. Like, everybody's telling Chuck he's special, which, like, he is. Everyone's special, but, like, I don't know. That's a weird, like, last line. Um, Ellie also sees this go down, and she hides behind a pillar and cries. At the Buy More, we have a rapid uh, switch in tone for a minute where Alex comes in to figure out whatever it is is in Casey's locker. Jeff and Lester are the first to see her, and they offer to help her, but in a weird, creepy way. Surprise, surprise, Morgan comes over, and he's not creepy, and he actually helps. He initially thinks Alex is also a spy, but she unloads on him about how Casey was a customer at her restaurant and just said he's her dad and asked her to go to his locker. Morgan leads the way, and they open Casey's very normal locker, but reveal a secret locker behind it. Alex uses the key Casey gave her to unlock it, and it's full of passports and money and stuff. As they react to this, Devin rushes in and tells Morgan he needs him. There's like a vibe where Morgan can tell something serious is wrong. Back at the ring base, Chuck is in handcuffs. He's put in a van with Casey and Sarah. Sarah asks where Chuck's dad is, and Chuck says, Shaw won. Sarah and Casey realize that Stephen must be dead. Sarah apologizes to Chuck. Shaw locks them in the van and tells them they better use the trip to the CIA base to bond because once they get there, their lives will be over and presumably they'll be separated. Chuck is all like, there's no one left to save us. But who's that on the road following the van? It's Ellie. And Devin and Morgan are also in a car somewhere getting ready to step in. Over the phone, Devin asks Ellie if she's sure she wants to go down this road. Ellie is sure. And that's the end. Except not on Amazon because the last two episodes are lumped into one big episode on Amazon. But it is the end of this recap. Yes, that is where we end. Yep. Uh, we will be discussing Chuck versus the Ring Part 2 next week. But what a cliffhanger. Yeah. Uh, what a cliffhanger that did not exist at any point in history besides right now. Yep. Because when it was airing, they I think they probably aired these two episodes back to back. So Yeah, it's only a cliffhanger for us and uh, you listening to this episode. Right. Who would, It's probably not a cliffhanger for because you're probably already familiar with, but... Uh, I yeah, wonder, that's... like, it, please, please write to us if you're someone who's never seen Chuck before and is just like listening to this for fun. I mean, I, I feel like it's possible. Stranger Things have happened. We're pretty charming. Stranger Things? Go Stranger Things yourself. So that is Chuck versus the subway. Uh, what a a dense episode. <laughs> yeah, it was a, a a lot went on. Yeah. Um, I have I have an IMDb trivia fact, and uh, I just found it very funny, so I wanted to read it. Um, as a preview, two out of seven people found this interesting. Okay. There are several mentions of getting or being burned, and at one point, Sarah tells Chuck they'll put a burn notice on you and you'll be running forever. This is possibly in reference to another very popular spy show on network television in 2010 called Burn Notice, starring Jeffrey Donovan as Michael Weston. So do you think uh, that's a reference to Burn Notice, Chris? I don't know. Is it a reference or they just happen to be? I assume that uh, it's the same turn of phrase. Right. So maybe that's why two out of seven people found it interesting. The other the other five were like, ah, no. 
I remember being like kind of into Burn Notice for like not very like a maybe like a few months maybe where I was like this show is so cool. Maybe uh maybe that's what we'll watch after we're done with Chuck. We we it's, have to start thinking about it. It's uh pretty surface level. It's uh what about Psych? Never seen Psych. Okay, I feel like Psych. Well, I used to watch Monk. That was like that was my my show when I was like in sixth grade. Um, that was my like uh USA television character okay. welcome. Yeah, yeah. I never saw Burn Notice. I wanted to point out that they mention in this episode when Chuck and Steven are looking at the weird little miniature ring base where the like they brought Shaw back to life. They reference Doctor Kwamabe. Oh yeah, they do. Chuck yeah, the tooth. And so apparently Dr. Kwamabe's work was like he was involved with the ring in order to bring Shaw back to life. Very interesting. I thought that was interesting because it sounds like uh, a lot of overlap between anyone who's uh, familiar with Mass Effect 2 when uh, Commander Shepard is brought back to life through the hard work and billions of dollars put in by Cerberus to resurrect the character. Pretty similar stuff. Aaron is smiling and blinking at me as if I was just speaking a different language, <laughs> even though uh, I believe she has been exposed to Mass Effect 2 and should be very familiar with this. <laughs> should have no questions right now. Well, I'm not going to ask any. Good. Um, I would like to ask if you could tell our listeners about Chuck Mary Kill. Well, I was going to ask, uh, you know, what you'd want to marry and what you want to kill in this episode. And I do that because it's Chuck Mary Kill when we pick one part of this episode we'd like to marry because we love it, and then uh, one part of this episode that we'd like to kill, because we don't love it. So, my Mary, um, this will come as no surprise, but I was pretty into Evil Shaw. I'm gonna <laughs> marry him. What, just all of it. I liked, uh, I liked that he was, like, I don't know, I mean, I didn't like his, like, overt sexism. I thought that was weird. Uh, like, but, I mean, he's, like, he's all he's pulling out all the stops and by all the stops i mean all like the things that made him good and i was like into those things but now i'm into like he's bad it's kind of interesting aaron likes the bad boys i do uh, my mary also involves evil shaw but it's specifically the moments when shaw is stabbed and punched in the head suddenly <laughs> uh i think we'd all really like to do that in this episode yeah, yeah. i laughed out loud at both times because yep. he just really goes for it and i also would like to tack on uh when Justin gets hit in the head by the napkin dispenser was also something that I Yeah, I, I liked that. I think um, there haven't been as many, like, cool, uh, like, fights with, like, unusual objects, but I like when they happen. Yes, same. For my kill, um, just both Jeff and Lester subplots. I didn't really care for the, like, Devin subplot where everybody was talking about how he's, like, unsatisfying as a lover and, like, encouraging him to drink and, and, and like, they didn't really cross over the line in any way, like talking about Ellie, like cuckolding him or anything. But like, it seemed like there was like this vibe that was always there. And I kept expecting them to like say something about like women and stuff. But it didn't really happen. But I feel like it was I, I still could have done without that. Um, and then just how they treated Alex when she arrived. Like, I feel like especially coming on the heels of like Steven just being shot and this like really like tense and depressing scene. Like it felt weird to be like, and now we have Jeff and Lester like creeping on this woman who like, we don't really know as a character. I would have been, I was fine with like the Morgan, like Morgan coming to help her and everything. But uh, the Jeff and Lester elements I didn't need, especially because there's so much going on in this episode. So they could have sat this one out. I was expecting that there was going to be an exchange where, they 
they're like hitting on Alex and then Alex is like, oh, I'm looking for Casey. And they're like, why do you know Casey? And then she was gonna be like, well, he's my dad. And then they would, they'd be terrified and like back down. Yeah, that would have been fine. Um, maybe that'll happen in the future. Yeah, I'm sure that's gotta happen yeah. at some point. Yep. Uh, my kill is that there's no reference or allusion to the restaurant chain Subway in this episode of Chuck Oh my god, that is such a good point. I was, the entire time I was like, oh, Chuck versus the Subway, I bet it's going to be like, it's going to prominently feature a lot of Subway product placement and they're going to be like at the Subway restaurant. And Do you think that's a misdirect? Like, do you think that they like wanted to announce the episode title so that people would think it was the Subway and then it was just like the literal Subway? Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised because the Subway doesn't really... The Subway itself does not play any like innately major role. They just happen to put the the ring base in the subway. Yeah. They could have put the ring base in a subway restaurant. Ah, maybe subway didn't want to. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe subway was like, please don't make yeah. our, please don't promote, like associate us with the ring, the evil government <laughs> and, operation. Infer that our, our franchises are cover-ups for a evil terrorist organization. Yeah. yeah. But I was, I was disappointed because there wasn't even a subway sandwich anywhere. Yeah. There could have been at least one. That's why if they cut out the Jeff and Lester stuff for my kill, they could have like used some subway time. Yeah, it's true. So speaking of restaurant chains that are uh, covert government operations facilities, uh, we have the scooter scale, which is based on our friend scooter from the Wienerlicious. Zero is the lowest, five is the highest, and we can rank anywhere in between. So, uh, Chris, what did you rate this episode? <laughs> I I rated this episode pretty high. I give it a 4.5 wow. out of 5. Uh, I just thought it was a really dense, action-packed, uh, and moving episode. You know, Ellie finds out the truth. Shaw's plan unfolds, and he seems to have, like, really won. Casey tells Alex the truth about being her father. Beckman's arrested. Stephen dies. Our heroes are trapped and in danger. It really seems like Shaw has bested them and mm-hmm. he's going to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chuck decides to stay and fight rather than run away. I think there's there's also something very cool and very powerful about the civilian characters of, you know, Ellie and Devin and then also Morgan, I guess, mm-hmm. that Chuck has been fighting to protect this entire time are now fighting to protect him. Yeah. Like they're activating to mm-hmm. go save him. And I think that's awesome. Uh, no pun intended. So I think it's uh, a really good episode. And I think that it pairs well with the following episode, even though I have not seen the following episode. But <laughs> I look forward to seeing it. Yes. Um, I agree with everything that you said. My score is a little bit lower. Um, I'm going to give this an, a 3.5. I think the brunt of that score is based on the Steven death scene and the resulting scenes of like Chuck kind of being downcast. Um, I think that was handled really well, as you said. Like We haven't seen... Um, there haven't been like a lot of major character deaths like other than like Shaw. Um, who who else have we lost, Chris? Like, any, Has there been, ever been any like... Bryce Larkin. Yeah, okay. So Bryce Larkin. Um, Chevy Chase. Yeah, okay. So there have been deaths, as, we, as we've said, but I feel like this one was handled exceptionally well, like especially considering that Steven hasn't been like a huge character this season. Like he hasn't really been around. And I think the show is really successful in getting me to like care and feeling mm-hmm. like Chuck and Ellie both really care and that this is a big moment. But I also like how casual it is for Shaw because that like proves how like heartless he is. And I think it's like, it was genuinely shocking. Like, even though I knew it was coming, I was shocked how like brutal and brusque and everything it was. So I think it was really well done. And I think a lot of my like positive feelings about this episode come from that. But I do agree with you that it was a dense episode. It could be 
the contender for one of my favorites of the latter half of this season, which isn't necessarily a high bar to clear, but I mm-hmm. do think that I had fun with this episode in the same way that I had fun with um, the one on the train, Chuck versus the Honeymooners. So, oh, okay. Um, yeah, 3.5 for me. Just to another point about like how they handle Steven's death too, like when Morgan is like talking to Alex and they're in the locker room and break room and then Devin shows up and he's mm-hmm. like, we have to go. And then yeah. Morgan's like, we have to wait. And Devin's like really serious. I thought yeah. that was a really good note. That felt very authentic and real. Yeah, definitely. They just, uh, yeah, I got a little, a uh, little emotional. Yeah. Or, uh, see, it, it's a, it's proof of, uh, the episode being good. If we can get Chris to care about Scott Bakula Dracula. Scott Bakula Dracula. Scott Bakula Dracula. That's a good band name. Maybe we should like, uh, we should Start use that in the future. Maybe we could. We're at least as talented as Jeffster, right? SBD. That's our abbreviation name. Scott Bagula Dracula. SBD. SBD. Law and Order SBD. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I watched that. If he if he was like one of the Law and Order people, I'd I'd be into that. What's he doing, Scott Bagula? What are you doing, <laughs> Scott Bagula? What are you doing? <laughs> Tune into our new podcast, Scott Bagula. What are you doing? When <laughs> we- <laughs> yeah just address scott bacula and say what are you doing yeah it's a very short podcast what are you doing scott bacula what are you doing and we never answer it we just ask it every week what are you doing scott bacula sometimes twice a week what are you doing what are you doing uh well that's a short podcast but this one is a long podcast so i think we will wrap it up for this week and uh get mentally prepared emotionally ready to watch the season finale of chuck next week uh, Chuck versus the Ring Part Two coming your way. We hope to see you there. Uh, for everyone here at Go Chuck Yourself, I'm right here. My name is Chris Gillespie, reminding you that food is sexy and that uh, Coco is available online at AshtonDrake.com, and it could be yours for just one nineteen ninety nine, payable in four installments of twenty nine ninety nine. But look, if you're a, a big, you know, if you're a big fat cat who has a lot of money, you can bankroll something. Maybe just you know save on interest and just drop the the whole 120 dollars up front why why spread it out over four months you know that's what i say um i'm here narada letting you know that anything is possible and we're going to close out while i talk about the the ashton drake signature difference so what makes ashton drake different they feature real touch trademarked vinyl skin to feel the most lifelike the dolls are hand have hand applied hair for added realism the dolls are weighted cloth bodies that feel real in your arms and they're all backed by Ashton Drake's signature 365 day guarantee. Thanks for listening. As always, a big thanks to the artist Hadakoa and the fine folks at freemusicarchive.org for providing us with our theme song, Warm Up. If you want to drop us a line, you can reach us at gochuckyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe to Go Check Yourself on your preferred podcast platform. New episodes come out every Monday morning and you do not want to miss a new episode. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.